welcome to episode 16 of Learning with Young Leaders. Moving forward, we'll release an episode every alternate Wednesday, where we share stories and experiences of young leaders for you to learn from their experiences and how they set themselves up for success. Listen in to hear how many of these guests discover their passion and drive in life that allows them to do well at what they love best. In this episode, we have Ethan and Travis, founders of Colaro, a custom menswear brand that aims to make quality custom menswear more accessible to men of all shapes and sizes. Ethan and Travis shared about their journey of turning Colaro from a side hustle into a full-time business, how they set themselves up for success, some advice for aspiring entrepreneurs, and much more. Do subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes and support us by sharing this with whoever would benefit from it. If you wish to connect with like-minded individuals, do join our LinkedIn group as well. Now, let's hear from Ethan and Travis. Hi, Ethan. Hi, Travis. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Yeah, thanks thanks for doing this so early in the morning. And yeah, it's quite interesting because this is one, in fact, the first podcast where I'm doing like two people on, on the same time. So it, it's going to be an interesting experience for me. But yeah, super interested to speak to you all and, and learn from how Colaro is doing and everything. So yeah, why don't we start off by, you know, you're just sharing more about yourself and how that led you all to founding Colaro together. Sure. Okay. Okay. Wow. Can we also start by introducing Colaro as well? Sure, sure. Like, Go yeah, ahead. That would be helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, Ethan and I, we met in SMU. He was actually my teaching assistant. And so we kind of kept in touch after SMU. And so like right after we graduated, we, we did, we worked at different places first, but we kept in touch. And what happened was we also shared a, in, a common interest in menswear. So that led us to, you know, to have sessions at coffee shops, food courts, you know, talking about what we could potentially do in the future. And so, yeah, we, I think we worked for about two years and then we, we started Colorado November, around November 2018. Yeah. 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 That's when, that's when we formally started. But then like we already, before that, we were already doing it on the side while we had our full-time jobs for quite a while before we finally decided to take the plunge to do this full-time. Interesting. So how was it managing it like at the site at the start and what was the instance where like you decided that, you know, it's time to take the plunge to transit from, from like a side hustle to a full-time job? Mm, I think to be fair, right, it's a case where we were being a bit more prudent right? because we are basically we, were, we have an MVP, we're trying to test the concept. So it makes sense to keep it uh, as a side hustle for a while. And we also took the time to learn from uh, different industry, what we call sifus out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like because we, what, what we do is actually there's some technicalities that's uh, associated with this particular business. So we had to learn the ropes and all these take time, took time. And we also took the chance to uh, sell to our first wave of like, friends and families to get feedback, to refine our product, to uh, basically get better at what we do. So when we decided to quit our day job to do this full time, I don't think there was like a very super clear sign, you know, like now this is the time to go. But it, it was more of a case where we saw, we had good reviews, we saw some form of traction and it was just becoming increasingly difficult to juggle both our day job and uh, mm-hmm. collateral. 
So it, it felt like, you know, if we continue to do this juggling, it would it result in a case where we don't really get our day job done well, neither does Colorado really progress. So it was really at this point in time that we, we, we decided to, you know, just take a leap of faith like, and say that, let's give this a go and see where it takes us. Because what's the worst case that can happen, right? We fail and go back to our day jobs. Yeah. So that was how it really came about. Yeah. Okay, why, why don't you all share a bit more about like yourself and how your personal interest in, in like the fashion industry led to what you are doing now? Okay, we, I mean, for, for myself, when I was in SMU, I took a few part-time retail jobs and that kind of sparked the, the interest in menswear. So not a few retail jobs, as in one, I did a stint with a, a local tailor. So that kind of exposed me to, to the, the world of tailoring. And at the same time, I worked for a casual menswear company, so ready-to-wear brand. It's a ready-to-wear brand. And it is through this experience that I got to know more about like how, I mean, the, the products available for men out there in the market and what are some things that are important. And yeah, I mean, through these few things, it really opened my eyes. And that was when, you know, we, I realized that there is kind of a gap in the market when we talk about custom menswear, locally, you know, people will say that uh, they will refer custom menswear as tailoring, right? We use the term custom menswear because we are not tailors. And, but we do know the technicalities behind me to measure clothing. And that is how, um, you know, like we started talking about starting up uh, Coloro. I think fundamentally what is a bit more different in what we are trying to do here is that <clears throat> Tailoring is always a trait that's associated with a physical storefront that you can only get, in a way, custom clothes through a physical channel. But at Colorado, we're trying to change this. So what we are actually saying is that you're able to get custom menswear without even stepping out of your house. Yeah, so with that, we have actually expanded our website, our overseas channels, and we have like shipped to maybe something like 30 countries worldwide so far. Yeah, so that is the direction that we are going. So in a way, we are trying to blend tailoring techniques, giving it a new contemporary touch to actually bring custom menswear to uh, men of all shapes and sizes around the world. Yeah, so that's what we are really about. Yeah, and yep. Okay, that, that's quite interesting. I didn't know. <coughs> so there's a difference between like the, the concept of a custom menswear and tailoring. Strictly speaking, I mean, okay, there are a lot of terms that get thrown around very loosely. Mm. Say yeah, made yeah. to measure. So for us, the way we see it is we, we create clothes that are made to your measurements. So kind of like a crash course, right? We create clothes that are made to customers' measurements. So think of it as, okay, you have ready to wear and then like one, one level higher, you have like made to measure clothes where clothes are made to your measurement. Mm -hmm. But for most, okay, not for most people, for some people, you know, like our bodies will have certain asymmetries. Let's just say, you know, for you have a certain injury, and you know, your, like your right shoulder, you know, is drooping a lot. In which case, made to measure clothing may not exactly solve some problems associated with how a shirt fits on you. Because like, you know, your, your body is very asymmetric. And, and so like for us, we bespoke, a bespoke tailor can correct for that. Like if your right shoulder is lower than your left shoulder, a bespoke tailor can try to take care of that. He has techniques in his toolbox, right? But for us, you know, we're not going to that extent. And that's where we kind of draw the line between like what we can do and what we cannot. And so us uh, using the term custom tailoring and made to measure clothing is just a way to, 
it's a bit like we are trying to be clear with with what the services that we provide. Yeah, because sometimes you know, like again, there are some we we know of brands out there who use these terms loosely, and then you know, for customers, they'll just be like, "Oh, am I getting this or this?" So we're just trying to make to make it clear to I the see. consumers. Yeah. I see. Okay, that's interesting. Learn something new there. So so like, it's like mass market which is like all the fashion brands we see out there and then it's like made to measure it's a bit higher than tailoring is like the highest level of customization uh, bespoke would be yeah. yeah the highest tier okay yeah yeah oh that's interesting <clears throat> okay then yeah you were also saying like you're uh, expanding worldwide and everything what are some of the challenges that you're facing those like expansion plans mm. Yeah, obviously, there's a lot of like logistics leaks that we have to handle. You know, mm-hmm. we there there will always be unexpected things that can happen that may well be out of your control. It can be as simple as the choice of career partners that they are using that can potentially give us some headache. I mean, just a bit of a backdrop is like just earlier this week we have a missing package that we we have to kind of deal with. Yeah, so it's rare, but these kind of things happen, and it's, all, all these logistics issues are things that we continue to have to iron out and I think the other challenge that we we also face is, is quite interesting because it's a case where preferences are quite different for local customers and for overseas customers their preferences for styles and fabrics uh, may differ so we will have to expand our offerings to cater to all these nuances as well yeah so just give you an example like in Singapore it's perpetually summer right yeah but in like target markets let's say in the, the U- European countries in, in, in North America, etc., they are uh, turning a bit cold. So they, we start to, we will need to start to consider whether there are any uh, fall winter fabrics in our offerings as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a different angle there. Yeah. So a bit of a backdrop too, right? Because since you asked this question, it took us actually more than a year to figure uh, things like logistics partner and also fabric curation. Because prior to this, uh, we started out as predominantly an offline custom uh, menswear brand where customers will come into the store, you know, it's, I would liken it to going to a tailor, right? Like um, what most guys, uh, most millennials have, you know, the conception of going to a tailor, that was pretty much us for the first uh, one year. And during that process, what we did was we we tried to understand, like, I think, I guess we were trying to refine the process, you know, in terms of how to serve a customer, what are the things that you would recommend? And progressively, as we were building our website, we managed to sell overseas, you know, because of Instagram and email, there were people who were willing to take the plunge with us. That was when we started to experiment with different courier partners. And there were a few times where, you know, that the parcel just goes missing and the courier partner would just say like, oh, you know, we, we, we tried to check and that's it, right? You don't get a... So it took us quite a while to figure out the nuances of like these logistics partners and also to understand what fabrics like some of these overseas customers would want. Because now, like, everybody's transitioning. Okay, not everybody. I mean, uh, North America, um, Western Europe, for instance, they are transitioning towards fall, winter. And that's where, you know, like, the fabrics that we offer to local customers don't make sense to them anymore. Like, nobody wears linen for fall and winter. So that's when, yeah, we having a bit of experience in the earlier days helped us plan ahead. And so, like, now we already have, in some ways, an arsenal of uh, fall, winter fabrics that we will be launching to overseas customers. Okay, but yeah. when you first like decided to enter like this whole industry, right, were there any people who 
sort of like doubted your or like oh, questioning, <laughs> right? Like questioning why do you all do this or like why are you leaving a, a well-established job, like full-time pay and then going on to doing this? Hmm. Yeah, so I think when we first uh, started doing this, right, the most common response we got was people were just generally skeptical, right? Like, mm-hmm. are you sure this is the route that you want to go down? This is being seen as a very traditional craft in a way so we, like we shared previously right we, while we had our day jobs we actually spent a lot of time learning from like sifu masters mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, around singapore to really learn more about the trade uh, the technicalities behind it so when we first approached them obviously they were like are you sure you really want to learn yeah so some of them actually took a huge amount of convincing so we basically just keep going back to them uh, on a weekly basis until they are convinced that, okay, you are serious about learning. I will spend some time teaching you. So that's how it really came about. And I think beyond that as well is uh, why we even enter this trade is we really believe that we are able to use uh, technology to blend what we call old school tailoring techniques to really create a differentiated uh, business model. So we are still a far, long way away from our envisioned end state, but it seems like we are making progress towards that direction as well. So, and if we really have to talk about like this uh, trade as a whole, right, it is really something that can be very old school. Yeah, it's, it's actually a very old school trade. But so how do we really, ba- it's, it's both an art and a science. How, how do we really balance it? So we, we think that actually it's, it's as simple as like our, education SMU for instance, you know, mm-hmm. might have given us the more sciencey part of things in a way and blending it with our own interest with the art part of it to really bring a uh, collateral to life. Yeah, so that's how it is. Mm. Okay, so what were some of the more like memorable lessons you got from the Shifus and like um, mm. yeah. I actually remember very clearly, right? when we were first sourcing for fabrics, right, we went to this like fabric distributor. So we were actually asking him, like saying, oh, we were trying to find out more about the fabrics. <clears throat> but he basically wasn't interested in even sharing anything with us. So it was a case where he basically showed like, okay, I wasn't, he has no interest in even exploring potential business. Yeah, so this was one quite unpleasant experience for us. But on the flip side, right, we also have uh, certain, like, say, uh, fabric agents, fabric distributors that we work with that have been super supportive since the start, even when we were nobody. And to this date, right, we actually maintain a very good business relationship with them. So a part of us also uh, really appreciate these people who, who has helped us along the way. So for people who have, like, you know, lent us a helping hand, we, we make it a point like, to continue to maintain business relationship with these people. Yeah. And maybe one of the most memorable things that uh, a Sifu told us is that actually when running this business, right, you cannot really just view it as a business per se. You need to take, a, take into consideration the human element of this business. Because after all, right, customization and tailoring as a whole, right, is a, there's a very huge personal element in, in the process. La. So how do you let this surface in your interaction with clients? Yeah, so that's something that we hold dear to, to this day. And even as we transit online, sell overseas, we always ask ourselves, how can we maintain that human touch in our, uh, in a way, in our commercial dealings? 
yeah, mm. not just with our customers, but with our suppliers as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, then I actually had another question, which was a follow up from what I asked earlier, which was like due to all the, <coughs> the naysayers and what people like people adopting your right. How did uh, did that like affect your and how did you overcome it? Okay, I guess to, to say that we're not affected is not true, right? Uh, we're humans after all, you know, like everybody has emotions and you get affected. I will share a few different examples of naysayers, right? And how we tried to deal with that, right? There, the Some of the suppliers, you know, who were slightly reluctant to work with us. So for us, it was just a case of, you know, if this is not going to work out, we'll move on, right? In fact, my, one of my ex-boss shared the same experience when he first started out. He's now a world-renowned bespoke tailor. But when he first started out, like fabric suppliers weren't even interested to talk to him, right? So the way uh, we did it was, you know, just to move on, find other suppliers. So that was like the supplier set of things. We had customers who come in to us and literally doubted our abilities, right? That was like we had a few customers. And I think to a certain extent, that can be a bit demoralizing. Yeah, but then at the end of the day, um, like I think what we did was we focused on the outcome. Because in the realm of customers where, you know, guys have different expectations. If you've been to 10 tailors before, your expectation is going to be pretty high. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm generalizing. And then if you're someone new, you, you would probably have low expectations, right? So we have met um, some customers who had really high expectations and obviously we fell short. And, you know, they would doubt your ability. But that being said, the way we see it is there is just a, it's just that when he first came in, we didn't manage his expectations properly. And that's what we grow to learn as a business, right? And so it's just something for us, you know, that, that we learn along the way. I, I think perhaps the add-on is the case where what we really learn along the way is that regardless of any kind of business that you're running, right? Mm-hmm. Customers will always have expectations, but always make a mental note, right? To divide them into what we deem to be unrealistic expectation mm-hmm. or something that's reasonable. If yeah. it's something that's reasonable, right? Then as a business, right? As a brand, right? We will definitely do everything within our means to get there. Yeah, but sometimes if you meet customers with really unrealistic expectation, yep. then perhaps it may not be worth your time and energy to serve a customer like that. They might be a better fit if they move on to another brand, for instance. And that is what yeah. we do. So like um, when we, I mean, we've done this for a while now to know, okay, if this guy has a certain expectation that we know more or less we cannot meet, we would very, obviously, I mean, you, we, we always say this in a uh, respectful way because at the end of the day, we don't want you to walk home with a product that you don't like, right? So we, are gonna, we will say things like, oh, you know, we know of this tailor. I think uh, for what you're looking for, this tailor probably can deliver a better outcome for you, right? And that is how over time we've learned because at the start, you know, like people, in fact, we, we do get this kind of advice, you know, like if anybody's coming through your door, you know, just take the business and then like learn how to deal with it later. But that's not always like how it works. <laughs> Because you don't want to end up with an angry customer. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, right? I think so at the end of the day, it's like regardless whether it's good or bad feedback, right? We, as, as, as a brand, as, as a company, we will always consider them. So we actually have like, you know, weekly sessions where we talk through the week, like what happened, any incidents that's worth noting, any areas that we should be improving on. So it's about having this like laundry list, this open discussion and, and making a call on, what are some areas that we should be working on and what we should actually politely learn to ignore. Yeah, so that, that, that is uh, how, how we see things. Yeah. So it goes back to like, like the brand values and what the brand stands for in a, in a certain way, right? 
In, in a way, yeah. yeah. So, so it's really, uh, if I miss like a tripartite, right, of customers' expectations, does mm. it tie in with what the brand stands for? Mm. And lastly, is it an area that we, will, we, we are looking to, to work on, for instance? Yeah. Mm. Okay, how, how do you all think the business or like your personal entrepreneurship style has developed over the years as you've worked on this? It's quite, I must say it's quite subconscious uh, in the sense that it's not very overt in the way that we have changed. But I guess patience is probably one of them. Yeah, because like, uh, especially we are, we are direct to consumer brand. And what that means is, you know, we deal with customers on a daily basis, customers with different preferences, with different ways of communication. And so like number one, for sure, is like just knowing how to take in the information from the customer and then just reply in a way that the customer would like. I think that's very important. That That's something that I think as co-founders, that's what we've learned. I think that's one of the main things. Mm. Actually, I think also perhaps like for me, it's a case where there, there seems, oh, 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 as, as we continue this journey, right? I, I think the sense of empathy may, may grow a bit more. Like, we empathize a bit more with our customers because, I mean, that's really what we do for a living, right? We really have to literally put ourselves in customer's shoes to know what they are potentially thinking, how they are feeling, and how we can make things better. But on the other hand as well, because the, the nature of this business uh, is very logistics intensive, you deal with multiple partners throughout the supply chain, and you have also learned to develop empathy for your uh, partners in, in that sense. Like uh, if there are some kind of delays, there's some kind of mistakes, why, why has it happened? And we learn to uh, sometimes just close one eye or rather be more forgiving when, when certain mistakes happen. Yeah, because you, you start to understand that, you know, this is perhaps the, the nature of the industry. Like. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's how I think things have changed a little for us. Yeah. I think maybe the other consideration also is like, Something that's quite different is that we used to have day jobs, right? So obviously you have bosses and all, but now that you are running the show, we, we do have a team as well. So there is also a greater sense of responsibility to the people that's on us, that, that's with us on this journey. So sometimes the, the calls that we make, we, we will always, in a, in a way, when it's just the two of us, it was easier, right? Like, you know, you, mm. you, make, you make the call, okay, if anything goes wrong, it's just on the two of us, right? But, but now we do have to be a bit more cautious like, because it reflects our, the, the whole team. I mean, it may potentially affect the whole team yeah. as a whole. Yeah. So that's the difference as well. Yeah. Okay. And how will you all describe like your entrepreneurship journey so far? Do you have any advice for people who are planning to take the plunge or like are aspiring to be entrepreneurs themselves? Right. I think there, there's one thing that we'll share and, and this is kind of the, it captures our journey, I think, quite succinctly. We, start, we mentioned how we started as an offline business. And mm-hmm. when we first started out, like the goal wasn't an offline business. The goal was an online business. But you know, you, for us, we needed time to learn the skills. We needed time to figure out different parts of the business, whether it's logistics, understanding um, different parts of the businesses, whether it's fabric, measurements, and even customer preferences. And so it took us, I think close to two years before, you know, our online channel uh, was ready and, you know, how we managed to sell overseas. It took us a really long time, but we had the patience to see it through because like, um, yeah, at the start, you know, back to your point of naysayers, there were some people who be like, oh, you know, like you, you study in an SMU, why, why did you go out to become a tailor? 
right? But then we knew from the get-go that we are not expiring to be just tailors. We wanted to bring this uh, online. We wanted to cater to guys from all over the world. But, you know, you need the resources, you need the right time. And it was about more than halfway through that uh, Ethan managed to, to convince our CTO to come on board, right? So with, with the CTO on board, you know, that changes things. That accelerated the, the whole online plan. Yeah, and so in some ways, like, it's just you need to have patience. If you have a vision, you also need to have the patience, right? Because, like, if we said we wanted to go online and, like, in a year we didn't get there, we'll fold the business, you know, like, we wouldn't be where we are now, right? So vision and, and a, a lot of patience, I guess. But obviously hard work. Yeah. But, but I think maybe for more from the emotional side, uh, the, that, that's, that's, like, you know, really the journey, right? But from the emotional standpoint, is that very fulfilling? if you try and do something on your own, but also be warned that it's incredibly tiring. <laughs> yeah, so that is why if, for anybody who's like looking to, to take on an entrepreneurship, uh, to be on this journey, right? Re- really do something that interests you. Yeah, if not, that you will reach, reach a point in time where you, you might just feel like this is not worth it because it's, it can be really painful, right? So have, have a, a clear vision and like as Travis mentioned, it needs to be a vision and, and a business that you're willing to be patient about. Yeah, because you're not going to like, you know, hit, hit your target within the first year. In, in fact, I would say the first two years, it will be probably be necessary to see whether you're on the right track. Yeah, so yeah, is that as well. Lah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I, I really like that. I think a lot of people, they are very concerned with like, the speed of growth or like how things must work out the moment they start, right? Then, mm-hmm. then they start to get a bit impatient. So yeah, I think that's, that's really great. Do you all have anything else that you all want to add or like to say to people? If you're looking for custom menswear, check out Colorado.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably, uh, we shared uh, what we wanted to share. So let hope it, it's useful for, for your listeners. Right. Why don't you tell them if they want to get them, where, where can they go and find you? Okay, you can just hit our website, www.collaro.co. So you'll be able to find everything that you need to know over there. Yeah. In case you're wondering how you spell Collaro, it's C-O-L-L-A-R-O. Yep. Okay. I'd like to ask this one last question before we end off. So what does success look like to you? Hmm. There's a curveball. Yeah, there's, there's quite a curveball. I, I, I think for mm. us is okay, why why it comes as so surprising, right? Because we are there, there is no real actual end goal for us. Like, you know, success is not more like IPO per se. We actually celebrate success, if I may, on a weekly basis. Mm. Yeah, when we hit some kind of mini milestones that we have set out to achieve, like on this week, success can also be in the form where a customer writes in he emails us, gives us a raving review about how he loves what we have done. So, in, in that sense, I don't think we are, we are not after like, you know, a super big milestone per se, but we celebrate the mini milestones. But if we have to define uh, what, what is really the end state of like this company, right? It's like we really aspire to become a global custom menswear brand. So, when we are able to hit that, I would think that is like, a really huge success, you know, but we celebrate our mini success on a weekly basis. Yeah. What about like personally, what does success look like in, in like your personal life? Mm. 
which I think we are quite simple guys. Eh? Mm. So it's a case where, <laughs> you know, success is like having our own place, you know, that's cozy, have our own family mm. and can continue to do what we love, which is this. I think that is, yeah, that is success to us. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think that that's all I have for now. Thank you very much for taking the interview. It was great speaking to you. I think I learned a lot of things. Sure. And yeah, I'll definitely drop by someday when, when I'm in the vicinity. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks, for, having yeah. thanks for having us. Thank you. All okay. right, thank you. See you, Marcus. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Learning with Young Leaders. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit sakoniorigino.com slash podcast for more resources based on today's topic. That's sakoniorigino.com slash podcast. Until next time, stay curious, keep learning.